And so I okay. just tried all these different things until I was like, oh, Eureka, it's this one. <laughs> now, did you have an interest in all the things you tried? No. When I started writing about money, I started writing about it because I sucked at it. <laughs> <laughs> the millennial generation is as follows. Welcome to Surrounded by Idiot Radio Podcast. Well, congratulations. You found your way back into the Surrounded by Idiots radio podcast. This is your host, Dr. Tony Dufresne, and this is news, stories, and somewhat questionable advice to elevate you above the unwashed masses to live life on your own damn terms. Now, this week, it is my great privilege to welcome to the show a legit millennial money expert, Amanda Abeya. Hey, Amanda, how you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. There she is. And kudos for pronouncing my last name right. You know, you know, you know the reason I, why I did that. I, it was it was a Bella all the way up until last night or the night before when I went on and actually listened to a couple of your podcasts. So Amanda is an online business coach, speaker, and author of the Amazon best-selling book "Make Money or Honey: A Spirited Entrepreneur's Guide to Having a Love Affair with Work and Money." For the record, I've bought it. I've read it. It's awesome, and we'll talk about that later. She's committed to helping millennials and anyone else who uh, wants to have a better relationship with work and money by means of entrepreneurship, online marketing, and abundance mindset. I love the abundance mindset part. Now, her work has been featured in Forbes, The Huffington Post, Seventeen, and Business Insider, among other top publications. And she's also spoken at a national level for the Financial Blogger Conference, Femfessionals, American Student Assistance, and more. Lastly, but not leastly, She's a regular contributor for popular blogs like Money Under 30, Care 2, Wisdom Times, and several others. And I'm hoping you're listening because there's going to be a test at the end of this. <laughs> yeah, you can actually add some banks. That bio is kind of old. So now I'm actually writing for um, Discover, PNC, Santander. Um, yeah, I've, I've got the big boys now. See, that's why I, there, there could be like five shows and talking to you because it's your journey, it's what you do, then it's the money thing, then it's the coaching thing. But yeah. uh, but I know that it's been it's been a long, hard road, but you put the time and the effort into it. And, and you can tell by the products that you have out and the quality that you have and then the demand now that's out there now for what you have to say. Yeah. I mean, I haven't had to prospect for writing clients like con- by writing. I mean, mostly like content marketing. So I'm writing like in in like very simple terms i'm like writing blogs for banks let's mm. just put it that way okay um and i haven't had to like go prospect new content marketing clients in almost a year which at first was making me really nervous <laughs> <laughs> right it's taken a while to get there but i mean i i'm at a point now where it doesn't make me so nervous anymore now i'm like oh okay You've arrived. <laughs> yeah, that's it's so nice. It's so nice to be able to get there to at least that point where it, it's almost like I, I always tell my clients, it's like trying to get a big, big boulder at the top of a mountain pushed down the hill. And the hardest part is to get that damn thing just moving an inch. But once right, you, and then that's why it makes you so nervous in the beginning because yeah. after years of like being told no or things falling through or having to like make like invent something or you know whatever you know that's mm-hmm. why you get nervous in the beginning. Which mm-hmm. I guess a good better word for it is like 
cautiously optimistic. You know, I'll take risks, you know, because I'm optimistic, but I'm taking calculated risks. Calculated risk. And that's really the key. But the only way you can take calculated risk, and, and correct me if you don't agree with this, is that is you have to get in there and you have to get dirty and you have to fall down seven and you have to get up eight and you have to realize how the how the system works before then you can start taking calculated risk because you kind of have a better idea in terms of how far you can go out to the left or how far you can go out to the right and then still you know have your odds to where you're almost risk averse uh, and you don't expose yourself too much yeah i will say i used to be a lot more risk averse i was very like impulsive you know in terms of like not necessarily planning things and just putting things out there and i'm like well i have i'm pretty cool so i guess people are just going to follow me you know with like no actual business structure which was great. I mean, it helped me get media and stuff like that. And it mm-hmm. started a following because I had a good story. If I knew how to do anything, it was how to tell a good story. But isn't and that I really the that. key, though, Amanda? Isn't that really the key is the storytelling? That's part of it. But if uh, you don't have a business structure, you can't get paid on just a story. This is true. <laughs> you do need you um, do need the platform yeah. and the foundation once you have that. Yeah. Right. You need like the funnels and the organization mm-hmm. and the, you know, and it's so funny because I, over the last few years, like as I've learned that, I have surrounded myself with some very grounded people, mm-hmm. you know, and people who are really good at money. And, and this is what people don't understand. Like money's not scary. It's more boring than scary because people who are good at it are just very good at keeping their emotions out of it. You know, if you want to get to a Warren Buffett level, you know, it's it's patience and it's doing the little things and it's doing them over and over again. It's keeping your emotions out of your money, which Warren Buffett talks about all the time, all the time. And yeah. that's, not, that's not very sexy or exciting or fun. <laughs> no, no, it's very pragmatic, very fundamental, uh, uh, fundamental, very pragmatic. But it's but that's what it takes. But how hard is it because you deal with people all the time and we're going to talk about this today. How hard is it to get people off of that emotional roller coaster when it comes to their finances and get them away from the scarcity uh, viewpoint and uh, have them look at it from a, a more optimistic or a more, I guess, expansive viewpoint. So I'll tell you in terms of um, the audience for my clients, because they have a little bit of a different audience than I do. And then with my own coaching clients, because mm-hmm. they're a little bit more advanced boggles my mind as to why we don't teach kids about money like we had this conversation i was having this conversation the other day i'm like i've never measured the circumference of anything in my entire adult <laughs> life but i've had to pay a credit card bill right you know and i've had to pay taxes mm-hmm. um and i've had to figure out percentages like for taxes because i'm self-employed like why why is no one teaching us this shit can we curse by the way oh <laughs> well oh absolutely okay <laughs> Um, like, why is no one teaching us this shit? This makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's such just a basic level or things like um, like with credit cards. Right. I'm going to go speak at a, a card forum next week in Austin, which is like a big conference for credit card issuers and, and people in, in that part of the industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be talking about, you know, um, marketing online to millennials. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, there's so much misinformation out there about even how to use a credit card. It's it's a lack of basic education. And then on top of that, um, people don't realize how psychological money actually is and how emotional it is. So then you have that added layer to it. Like they don't understand it. So they're already scared. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then they don't understand it because no one's taught them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then what they have learned, they probably learned at home. And if there's two areas where our families probably fucked us up pretty good. <laughs> right. It's relationships and money. 
their parents had teachable moments and stuff like that, then cool. But if you're like me, you know, and your parents were immigrants and they started over in this country and immigrants have a major scarcity mindset they have to deal with because mm-hmm. you're literally counting your pennies when you're an immigrant and you came to the United States with nothing but the shirt on your back, yeah. you know, yeah. um, you know, and, and you weren't entrepreneurs. I don't come from an entrepreneurial family. Then I have to deal with different emotional and blueprints that I learned. It's difficult, um, but it's not impossible. And then when it comes to my own coaching clients, I do a lot of business coaching and it's, you know, really earning money. That's what people want coaching for uh, more than anything. Now, usually by the time they get to me, I've done my marketing well enough where they're like, oh, girl, I've already read The Millionaire Next Door <laughs> Like <laughs> by the time they get on the phone with me or, you know, I've already paid off my consumer debt or at least they have it under control. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're already kind of in that space like they already have a basic um, understanding of finances a lot of my coaching clients are actually really good at managing money hmm. it's more of an earning problem um, oh, okay so they're then, looking to generate uh, from the revenue side they already have the expenses set their foundation is set they have a they have a good solid practical mindset but they're looking to uh, expand from that Right. Um, and that's more of an emotional thing. Once you start getting into earning more, because culturally speaking, you know, you're dealing with a topic like, oh, you want money? What's wrong with you? Like, oh, you're absolutely. If you want money, you absolutely. know, and I'm like, no, fuck that. I want money because mm-hmm. it costs money to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you and uh, I'm going to bring up your book a number of times through this, but you have a great couple chapters in there about that exact thing, about the fact that it's that it's that mentality. And we're going to roll right into uh are three crucial steps because th- that's a really good segue. So what I want to talk to you about is uh, specifically today is about three crucial steps to millennial money mastery. And there's a lot of other steps, but I found these after reading your book and going through what I've gone through over these low these many years, I found these to kind of be pretty basic and uh, and I think it'll give everybody a good foundation because like you said, a lot of people just don't even have the basic foundation in terms of the understanding and the concept of money and, and what it should be used for and what value. Right, which it, I, I kind of want to um, really drive a point home. Like it's not their faults, right? I yeah, think a it, lot of people, yeah. A lot of people get really emotional. They're like, I should be doing better. I should know better, but you know, it's not your fault. It's like we do not have the foundations or the systems in place to help people with this like we just don't <laughs> it's such a, it's it's such a great point to bring up because a lot of people come into that with that with that level of guilt or because they don't know then they they have this you know cover over them where they think that they can't know and it's uh, oh yeah it, it, i go to events all the time like i was at an art gallery like during art basel and i was having hmm. these conversations with the attendees when they found out what i did and they're like you know i'm really struggling under student loans and i wish i would have known better and i, I wouldn't have gotten into this and, and i'm like look if you knew better you would have done better but honestly our system's set up in a way where there's no there's unless you learned at home, there was really not much of a way for you to have known. <laughs> no, no, there really isn't because there really is no system for understanding that. But the key is, and I think you probably tell this to your clients all the time, the key is the fact that they that they know now enough to know to ask. Right. And and that's mm-hmm. the key. The key is today. It's the present. And if you and if you do want to know, the information is out there and it is okay. And you can and you can make really good solid changes and, and it's never too late. It really isn't. No, it's never too late. I was just hearing the story of uh, Jen Sincero this morning. I like, love her. She started in her 40s. Yeah, yeah. So I want to bring this in and talk about the three things for money mastery. And I want to get your opinion on these. So I'm going to throw it out to you. Are you ready? Okay. All right. So the first thing is, is that is that you need to cultivate the right mindset. And in your book, 
you need you indicate that you need to determine what's your money story. And we just touched on that a little bit, but can you expand on that a bit? Right. So most of what we learned about money, we probably learned by the time we were seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we pick it up from our families. We pick it up from society. Um, we pick it up from school. Even one of my major money stories was, oh, you're a creative kid, so you're never going to make any money. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good one, too. And very popular. And if we're not careful, then we pick up other people's shit. When it comes to money. Now, granted, of course, you were a child and children are sponges. So whatever you picked up at home, you you probably have a pretty good imprint of that. So you have to deal with it mm-hmm. and you have to figure out what that is. And um, for me, it's really interesting because I always focused on my parents. And then recently I've come to realize that my grandparents had a lot to do with my upbringing, too. So maybe that's an area I need to look into. But it's the scarcity mindset. And, and as you know, is you you create your own reality. And if your reality is always focused on not having enough, then you will not have enough. It's it's almost right. like, a, you know, you spell it out yourself. And as much as you don't want that to be the case, you almost it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in there. And but it's a loop that you can create some level of uh, escape velocity out of. And it's a matter of shifting your perspective to more of a, an abundance perspective. And I thought it was interesting and a very good point that you mentioned in your book is that and the thing you mentioned a little bit earlier about about first accepting your current mindset for what it is and saying, you know, it's not it's not really my fault per se, but this is where I'm at. This is where I'm starting from. I have to be okay with where I'm at first, and then I can shift my perspective to more of a uh, expansive or more of a gratitude. I, I need to be grateful for where I'm at, but then knowing I can move forward from there. Right. It's kind of like a surrender, not in like a I'm giving up kind of no, way, but in a yeah. it is what it is kind of way. Yep. Yeah, which is a much more less emotional and kind of methodical approach to money, which is exactly what you need if you want to go make some money. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? Because you—it's almost like you're purging, you're purging the the emotional baggage, and you're getting down to more of the pragmatic sense of really what money is supposed to be used for, which is an instrument uh, that we all connotate some level of value to. It's a tool, and going back to the personal finance education. Um, once you really understand finance, you realize it's not that hard and it's a lot of common sense. Um, you know, there's theories as to why. I mean, yes, the industry makes it seem more complicated than it actually is because it's in their benefit to do so. The reason people get into issues is because of their emotions. Maybe they're emotional spenders. Maybe they're not paying attention. Maybe they don't want to pay attention because money brings up shit for them. I mean, I've heard mm-hmm. everything at this point. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, fulfilling voids uh, with uh, with things, you know, like externalizing your your loneliness and all that stuff, and that and that just is a downward spiral and it creates a, a cycle that's uh, that you you picking up two hammers. It's a it, it's the first hammer where you're doing the bad thing. The second hammer is if you like shit for doing the bad thing. So step two is the B word, which is budget. And for mm-hmm. my, for me, I remember back in my twenties and hearing budget and, and I was even a finance major. And that just makes me just because it's just, I just hate the word and I hate I, I, at right. the time. Uh, but, but it's, but that it's necessary to take inventory. Like you say in your book, go on a date with your budget. Money dates are not new. A lot of um, women in, in finance use that to kind of the metaphor of like building a relationship with your money, basically. Just like you would build a relationship with your partner, your money is a relationship. Now, love and money is like a whole other podcast episode. but <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, isn't it? Yeah. But it is a good metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you know, really thinking and, and if you look, approach it from that perspective, um, because you're able to kind of come at it from a place of like, okay, I'm just showing up and I'm doing the best I can. So like, that's part of it. Right. And you're able mm-hmm. to show a little bit more self-compassion for yourself. And the best part is like, unlike a partner, like money's not going to talk back to you. It's just numbers. It's either there or it's not. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The talk back is yeah. actually in your own head. And sometimes it, that's even yeah. worse than somebody else talking back to you. And that all comes, doesn't that all come down to really seeing the pattern? It's about putting everything in front of you and taking that, the time and the effort. And like you said in the book, you know, grabbing a, a good bottle of wine and you said pour a glass of wine, but I'm more like put a straw in it and then just, you know, make the whole bottle <laughs> well, happen. You need to be somewhat sober to do the math. Right. I'm not sure that's really the case, Amanda, because it my math is a lot better when I'm hammered, but that's a whole other show. I'm a better writer when I'm hammered. I know. Right, well, well, you know, you know what they always said, it, and they always accounted this a Hemingway. They said, he, you know, write, write hammered and edit sober, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure some of my best college papers, I was under the influence of some alcohol. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's always better that way. That's so. It, but it's about seeing the pattern. It's about putting things down in front of you, putting your cards out on the table, getting your bills out, getting your credit cards out, and starting to see certain spending patterns. Right, and it's it's a the reason people use the relationship metaphor is because it's a commitment. It's not something you do once and then you're done. I was doing it just this morning, right? Mm. That's one of the first things I was doing this morning. And I have two budgets to handle: a business budget and a personal budget, which has been like whoa, a whole like MBA for me. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's learning it's learning as you that. go. Absolutely, you know, yeah. it's one thing when you're getting a paycheck every two weeks, but like if you're running your own business, you're basically dealing with two budgets. Oh yeah. Um, and um, mm-hmm. so I was doing it, you know, just this morning money is a part of our everyday lives um so it's in our best interest to really just not get so freaked out about it and even if it's just slowly even if it's just a matter of like all right this is what my bank account looks like today right mm-hmm. for some people that's a major step because a lot of people won't even do that we used to have to get the check i mean the checks came back we had up the checks and we go through and we balance the checkbook and all that old school stuff as a matter of fact, my co-host Lexi bagged at me because I talked about balancing a checkbook. She's like, "What the hell's a checkbook?" Oh, so, I forgot. I forgot how to um, actually deposit a check in person. Right. A few months ago. <laughs> yeah, but th- but that but that's. I'm and, like, Why is the app not working? <laughs> right. Exactly. But that's but that just goes into the whole thing about us progressing from a technological standpoint and making things so you don't have to do that anymore. But when that happens, there's a lot of the I don't know hands-on practical uh, accountability. That, that you don't have to do anymore. Right. And that's the argument that some people have against, you know, automation and fintech apps. Like, I love fintech apps. I mean, quite frankly, that like Acorns or, or well, Digit was great until they started. Mm-hmm. Some people argue against them because they're like, no, it tastes like the actual manual personal responsibility out of this. But my argument would be, yeah, but people aren't doing it anyway. So this is helping them, you know do more than they're doing now, which is almost nothing. Exactly. And, <laughs> exactly. And what I say is, you know what? It, you can't compare. It, that's like comparing old school stuff to new school stuff. If things progress, then you have to look at a way to create levels of accountability in the new world instead of going back and saying, well, we're losing this part because we're not doing these the check and the stuff in this. And so the new technology is not that great. It's a matter of finding a way with with the new technology to have a level of accountability. I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that difficult. This is not rocket science here. Right. It's not. And look, I'm, I run my own business and I'm sure you know this too. As much as people who run their own businesses want to automate, we kind of almost can't. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. 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 Especially with Um, us and right in schedule C stuff and all that. Yeah. The truth is, and I talk about it in the book, like I have to work off of percentages. 
Yeah. You know, because I have different business revenue every month. And one month I may want to decide to invest more in my business than another month. And that's something I'm dealing with now and why I had to look at my budget because mm-hmm. I invested in the first quarter. Now we're in the second quarter. So now it's like, all right, everything was built. Now we're in the implementation stage. My business bills were looking pretty high there the first quarter <laughs> of 2017. And now they're starting to like come back down again as I'm making more money. So when you run your own business, um, you almost can't automate everything, which is one of the issues I have with people who say that because it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that works if you're getting the same amount of money every two weeks. But when you run your own business, that's not how that works. Not <laughs> at all. And that's why we're running off of percentages and looking looking at things in the context of where you're at is is the only way to do it from an entrepreneurial standpoint if you're doing a side hustle. But I've tried the zero sum. I've tried the 20, 30, 50 rule. I've tried everything. And I always just end up going back to the percentages. So and, that, the and right and that brings me into my second thing I wanted to talk about in terms of the budget uh, is prioritization and you say to take care of yourself first and you have a formula for that. I do. You just you have to put money for yourself first. Um, the formula I use in the book um, isn't the same one I use now because I wrote that book a while ago mm-hmm. and the one I use in the book is also just really easy math. So I would right. Like, but it's a good place to start, to don't you think? I mean, just to kind of, it is a good start. you know, just from an exercise standpoint. After that, it's like, all right, make sure you're putting money away from, for emergencies because they're not a matter of if, they're a matter of when. I just had two pets go to the vet. Guess where that mm-hmm. money came from? My emergency fund. The emergency fund, exactly. So, so how do you balance? Because 99% of the time when I talk to the 25s to 35s, they're, they've already gone through and they have student debt or they have credit card debt. How do you balance credit card debt and student loans and all that other and emergency funds and uh, it is do you have a level of prioritization for all that kind of stuff what do you feel about uh uh debt that is one lesson my parents always taught me growing up was like don't get into trouble with debt and i basically made a deal with my parents during college they were like we'll pay for it but you got to go where we tell you and i ended up in this like super tiny conservative catholic school and it was a really rough four years oh yeah when people <laughs> yeah, come to, when people come to you with with big student loans and with big credit card debt how do you handle that how do you have them structure uh payment and uh all that other stuff dominique brown of your fan finances simplified i've seen him kind of put it the best he's like if you have a, a debt that's above seven percent get rid of it because it makes absolutely no financial sense to do that mm-hmm. a lot of student loans they're around the six percent at least the federal from the last time i heard mm-hmm. right so you're not at that above seven percent rate where this makes absolutely no mathematical sense whatsoever to keep right it's the mm-hmm. same argument people use for mortgages like most mortgages are nowhere near that right so, yeah at this point yeah um, yeah so you know you can you can have that for a while right so if you have student loans and consumer debt go after that consumer debt because you're looking, especially if you're in your 20s and you don't really have much of a credit history, you're looking at some pretty high interest rates on that. Yeah, harsh. I mean, that's where you're going to get tagged the most. I mean, you know, 20%, 22%, especially if you get something that uh, at, at the very beginning, they'll tag you big time. Yep. So, so that rolls into uh, another thing that we talked about or touched on a little bit earlier, but something I feel is very important and and very and like a mysterious enigma. It's it's investing. Yeah. I'm always like, why are you people not investing? You know, mm-hmm. and I know why. But like, like, let's be real. We came of age during an economic downturn. The markets were a shit show. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? We've had like bull markets ever since and if you look at it it, right if you didn't put money in there when the markets were down you've lost a lot of money yeah i mean if you put it in when it was seven thousand then you know what and even even not taking that 
that drop and the and the increase since then into consideration, if you look at it from a historical perspective, it still has a return. Even through all the world wars and all of the turmoil and the economic recessions and depression, there's still been a positive return overall historically. Right. And that's why I'm saying like it's a hell of a lot scarier to invest in a business because like that has a higher failure rate than the United States. Yeah, very much so. Yes. Like we have the data to prove that uh-huh. the United States Absolutely. market is pretty solid. Yeah. We have a lot of data to back that up. <laughs> Absolutely. But that and that comes into I, I wanted you to just touch real quick because in and, in and of itself, uh, a side hustle and having a side hustle is is like eight shows. Uh, so, and I, and that's really right. your, that's your gig. And I'm, and you talk about that a lot. You have your own angle in regards to side hustle, but I want to ask you this and just to make it very simple. And I'm saying you should create a side hustle. If what, if you don't want your money coming from just one place, which that's everyone. I was a recruiter at my last job. I interviewed people who lost their jobs all the time. Mm-hmm. You do not want to rely on just your paycheck for income. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding that being that being the case more and more, where uh, as, with the millennials, with the 25s and 35s, they they almost intrinsically are going into some side hustle thing because oh they, yeah they, totally you know. like all my friends have some gig on the side, yeah. all of them. Now, is there one guideline or one key thing that's that is necessary in regards to finding and making uh, a side gig a moneymaker? Yeah, I really hate this follow your passion bullshit. <laughs> Um, cause your passion may not get you paid. <laughs> your passion gives you motivation, but it's not what gets you paid. Hustle is what gets you paid. So the, so the question would be ultimately if somebody wants to do a side hustle and they really don't know what, then how, uh, what's the criteria to pick the right one? Honestly, I didn't know what I was going to be doing for years. It took me a while to figure out this like money and business. And that's what that was my thing. And that was my knack. Um, and the only reason I got to it was cause I just did a shit ton of experimenting. And so I just tried all these different things until I was like, oh, Eureka, it's this one. (laughs) Now, did you have an interest in all the things you tried? No. When I started writing about money, I started writing about it because I sucked at it. (laughs) 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 Honestly, um, people just give up way too fucking easily. They do, don't they? But it it isn't. But the system is set up that way. The system is set up to weed out the weak. I would actually I would agree with you. I've had to coach clients through this who are like, you know, in tears because like a deal didn't go through. And I'm like, dude, if a deal didn't go through with me, I have three others I'm working on. You know right, I mean? right. Or go get another like, one. And that br- um, and that brings us actually into the third step in the money mastery. It's seek help and advice, find a mentor and a coach and surround yourself with the right people. Do you agree? Totally. Um, when it comes to, I mean, when you change, period, it doesn't matter. It could be losing weight. It could be relationships, you know, environments, whatever. Um, it's almost, but especially with money, because money is just so taboo. And like, especially like you have shit like class warfare, like one of the things that pisses me off the most coming from the financial perspective, you know, and and living in that space, even though it's on the marketing side, I'm still in that space is like when people start talking shit about wealthy people, do we have systemic issues? Yes. Right. Which goes to your point about you know, it's kind of like a Darwinism and it's kind of set up that way. But I'm not here, you know, ruminating on that. You know, do, should we fix whatever's wrong with the systemic stuff? Hell yeah, we should. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. I'm the first one to say that. But even if you fix all the systemic issues, there's still a level of personal responsibility at play. Right. Um, no one's going to hand you anything. And that's one of the things that 
I did learn, you know, my parents coming from from a communist country where there was some major class warfare against the bourgeois and all mm-hmm. that great stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, they're like, hey, man, in the United States, no one hands you anything. You got to hustle. Yeah, it, it's a combination. Like, yes, there are systemic issues in the way. Yes, we should be fixing them. But I just don't see it as an excuse to, like, hate on people who have money. Exactly. But but doesn't that doesn't that prove a point? And don't you understand where the client is coming from immediately if they blame shift? I mean, that's that's their mindset. That's their mindset. And obviously, they, they I mean, a lot of times they probably learn that, you know, at home, like, oh, rich people are evil. And that's what I'm saying. Like when it comes to earning money, it does bring up a lot of people's stuff because oh, yeah. culturally speaking, you know, if you want money, something's you're you're not a good person. You're selfish. Something's wrong with you. You don't give a shit about people. Mm-hmm. You want to step on people because you want money. I mean, culturally speaking, it's a very difficult topic and that's one of the reasons why people have such a hard time earning money sometimes well yeah well you have to you have to vilify the other side you have to polarize things in order to validate your own position and yeah and and like again you know i want to be transparent in the fact that like i know wealthy people i've interviewed wealthy people but i don't know one day i woke up and i'm like i'm just not gonna be one of those people who just stays in the same situation that i am regardless of what's going on around me mm-hmm. and that's what you and that's what you do with your clients and that's what i do with clients and sometimes it's very difficult to get them out of that especially if they came from yeah. um especially if they came from situations where like for example i'll work with a lot of women um i probably because i am a woman so i guess i attract a lot of them into my business mm-hmm. um and one of the biggest issues with women is whole like oh no you're being selfish don't ask for more money. You're being selfish. You're being a bit. That, that's the hard part, I would think, with you is the fact that you have to really dig deep into the mind and get people to change from a, you know, from almost a, uh, a psychological, philosophical standpoint. Yeah, that is the hardest part. And look, even still in my own journey, and I tell people this all the time, like I'm doing a lot better than I was before, but I still have shit to deal with. <laughs> and and sometimes people come up to me and they're like, oh, my God, I, I fucking hate my job. I really want to do this thing on the side. And I tell them, okay, well, it's going to be at least a year. You oh, know, God, at least. Like people hate hearing it. They don't want to hear that. They they want to know that, you know, it happens quickly or, or they want to hear, oh, I changed my mindset today. So I should have a million dollars tomorrow. Right. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. That's not how that works. Exactly. Intention mechanism or as, uh, uh, you know, as the secret says, you know, just put it out there and it'll come to you. Like, well, no, 10, no, no, 15 no, no, minutes. No. There's, there's grit and there's hustle. And there's having to face your fears all the time. Like every time I ask for more money, my imposter syndrome comes up. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But, but I mean, uh, at, touching on grit, Angela Duckworth's book is amazing. If you guys want to get into the grit thing, I want to ask you, cause you did touch on this real quick, uh, finding a coach or a mentor. What, what would be the number one tip that you would give to find a coach or a mentor? Mm, that is so good. Um, Tell you one of the lessons I learned the hard way is as I experienced different levels in my business and also my life, because I've worked with all kinds of coaches at this point. I've worked with, you know, business coaches, different kinds. I've worked with relationship coaches. I've worked with a health coach, depending on what was going on in mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. I have no problem paying someone for their expertise <laughs> at this point, which, by the way, is a money mindset thing. <laughs> it, it really is. Absolutely. Um, you know, I will find a way to pay for them. Um, so one of the things I learned is, um, you have to take stock of where you are now and then find a coach that matches that. So I can't go to the same coach now that I would have had, uh, four years ago because I'm at another level. Mm-hmm. 
Which is you a very know, good point. You have to really match up to where you're at and uh, and how the coach speaks and their voice. That's why I, the internet's so great. And if you and you go through and you Google, you know, personal health, personal health coaches or finance coaches or the stuff that you do and I do. I mean, I have my own voice, and so do you. And some right, people and exactly. some people I resonate with, and some people I don't. That's why I give them a half hour. And uh, if we don't resonate, uh, and if it doesn't work for them, then I'm not going to try to pitch them because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, which, by the way, is also a money mindset thing because people go into like sales situations and they're having panic attacks, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, whatever, I did too. Sometimes I still do, depending on like who it is I'm talking to and how much money I'm asking for. Like, mm-hmm. I'll still feel it on the inside, but if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Right. You know, exactly. and people have a hard time understanding that point, that part of it. And that has to do with mindset, like believing, oh, whatever, something else will come in like a week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's a tough gig, especially if you have a scarcity mindset. You think that that's yeah. the only that's the only thing that's coming on. It's, it's like the same thing that people go in with jobs and they think, oh my god, this is the perfect job, or this is even the perfect person. It's amazing. There, there, there's nobody else that that is a soulmate like this person, or is the perfect job for me. And you don't get it, and then you're crushed, thinking that that's it. You're done. You've lost your opportunity. And I, I say it as testament, like I don't have a business background. I've had to learn all of this myself, right? As I go, like one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And um, I, one of the things I learned the hard way is like I, I noticed I was getting into this bad habit, right? Like, oh, okay, my bills are paid and I was able to put some stuff into savings. So like, I'm just, I'm just going to get a little lazy toward the end of the month. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's easy to do because you, you work your ass off at the beginning and you think, hey, I can coast a little. And then you lose half your clients all of a sudden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it does. You God, that's the that's the one thing about like I said, we could do eight shows on on doing your own gig. But yeah, that is the one thing that I learned more than anything is the fact that there's no coasting. Oh yeah. Or like every time you invest in your business, that's when the universe decides to whether it's through a coach. Um I, I someone needs to hear this. Every time you invest, <laughs> whether it's through a coach where they're hiring people in your business, mm-hmm. the universe is going to come and smack you down <laughs> within like two weeks. I like to tell people that money, you know, regardless of whether it's coming from a business or a paycheck or whatever, is one of the best teachers you're going to have. But you got to keep your emotions out of it in order to get the lesson. So to round off the show, I've got two quick questions for you. Uh, okay. The first one is, uh, when do I know if it's the right time to move out of my parents' house or ditch my roommates and get my own place? Okay, so the general rule of thumb is that you do not want your um, rent or your mortgage or whatever to be more than 30% of your income. That's the general rule of thumb. The second question I have for you uh, is, as as, as the expert, is uh, what should I do with my tax refund? Hmm, there's lots of things you could do with your tax refund. Uh, don't spend it. <laughs> <laughs> except, lots of things except don't spend it. Lots of things except don't spend it. Um Actually, the millionaire next door talks about this. And if anybody wants to know about like what millionaires actually do with their money, I highly recommend that book. Um, and he talks about precisely that, like the tax refund, like the average Joe already knows what they're going to spend it on before they even have it. Um, I actually do want to mention this since we talked about um, debt. One question I get a lot is um, how can I save and pay off my credit card at the same time? Should I save and pay off my credit card at the same time? That's a good question. And the answer is yes. I don't want anybody like walking off this podcast thing. Okay, I'm just going to throw my entire tax refund to my credit card, even though I don't have an emergency fund. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't want anybody doing that, right? And the reason you want to do both, 
right, is because let's say you do have an emergency. Let's say you, you have to take your fur babies to the vet like I did, right? Mm-hmm. Not cheap to take fur babies to the vet, oh, right? God, no, and especially two. Especially two, right? Um, or your car breaks down or, or whatever, you know, shit happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are in that kind of a situation, then what do you have to do? Well, you have to slap it on a credit card and then you're in the same fucking situation all over again. So that's why you always want to make sure that you're doing both. Yeah. And even worse, because you now you're paying, you're paying on your money. You know, you're paying 20% on an, on an expense. Exactly. I mean, what a exactly, disaster that. Exactly. So, and take it from someone who has put an emergency on a credit card her first year of self-employment because she did not have enough money in her emergency fund. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Amanda Abeya, author, world-renowned money expert, make money your honey, a spirited entrepreneur's guide to having a love affair with work and money. Thanks, Amanda. I really appreciate it. That was a lot of good stuff. Oh, thanks for having me on to talk about one of my favorite topics, money. <laughs> right? right? Well, it is now. I mean, it wasn't before, but it sure as hell is, now, is after, now after seven right. years of bullshitting around with it, of course, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, you're right. It did not used to be one of my favorite topics. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna put the, the link up to your book. I'm going to put the link up to your website, amandaabaya.com. You got a ton of good stuff. Plus, you have merch, I mean, oh, and, you know, coffee cups, and you got T-shirts yeah. and all that crap. So it's a crap in a good yeah, way, right? Crap money. in a good way. Multiple streams of income. There it is. <laughs> Speaking of which, and you know, and uh, webinars and all that stuff. I, and I, plus, I dig your website. It's a it's a really cool setup the way that it is. So I'm going to put the link up to all that stuff as well as to a couple of the books that we had talked about. And remember, you can go to javabud.com to get the show notes. It's also uh, this uh, show is going to be on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Rate and review per usual. And uh, again, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Amanda. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later.